welcome to For the Record, the 70s. This is the place where we take a deep dive into the intersection of the music, politics, and culture of the decade that had the challenge of following the beloved 1960s. In this episode, we will examine the Vietnam War and the music that that war inspired. If you have ever watched a movie or a documentary about the Vietnam War, you no doubt know that those who served there had their favorite songs. And in fact, it has been said that the bands like the Animals and the Rolling Stones helped create the soundtrack for the war. Ken Burns and Lynn Novick made the gold standard of Vietnam documentaries with Vietnam for PBS in 2017, and it actually does have a soundtrack. Anyone who has watched the movie Apocalypse Now knows the scene in the river with Can't Get No Satisfaction. Uh, That song makes that scene. This is not a show about songs like that. This is about the songs of the 1970s that inspired songwriters to pick up a pen or an instrument and make music. In the first week of 1970, Fortunate Son by Credence Clearwater Revival, which was the B-side to the single Down on the Corner, was number four on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. A check of the top ten shows that other than Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin, there was a lot of what we could call light rock, very unoffensive, or uncontroversial songs can be found in the top 10 that week. Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head by B.J. Thomas, number one. Someday We'll Be Together by Diana Ross and the Supremes was number two. Leaving on a Jet Plane by Peter, Paul, and Mary was number three. Credence at number four. Holly Holy, number nine. La La La. Did I get all the laws? La La La. If I Had You by Bobby Sherman at number 10. Wow, do you know that song? Here's a sample of it just to either refresh your memory or to get you up to speed. La la la, la la la. There ain't nothing in this world I couldn't do. a very pleasant song and i'm not knocking it hey you know bobby sherman fans out there i'm not knocking the song at all i'm just wondering what was happening on the radio as the 1970s were about to begin yes i know that john lennon released give peace a chance a little earlier in 69 but you know that never even made it into the top 10 i can tell you what was happening in vietnam as 1969 ended There were nearly half a million American men serving in combat, which does not take into account the number of men and women serving in other capacities. President Richard Nixon had already ordered the bombing of Cambodia, which was the opposite of what he said he was going to do. The New York Times printed an article about that in 1969, and Americans were largely uninterested. They will become much more interested when Nixon goes on TV on April 30th, 1970, and announces that troops are going to be sent to Cambodia, which was an expansion of the war, not bringing it to an end, as he promised. 
That is going to lead to the Kent State tragedy on May 4th when student protesters were shot by the Ohio National Guard. I covered that in more detail in, I believe, episode five of this podcast, the anti-Nixon songs of the 1970s. Just one month before Fortunate Son made it to number four and shared top ten space with La La La, If I Had You, the United States government held a national draft lottery broadcast live on TV and radio. This is not the lottery you wanted to win, folks. Millions of people listened to or watched guys in suits draw 366 capsules one by one from a hopper and draw out a slip of paper with a birth date on it. The earlier your birth date was drawn, the more likely you were to get a ticket to Saigon. That is what John Fogarty was responding to. It was not just anger at the war, it was anger at the draft. Even more specific than that, Fogarty was responding to David Eisenhower and Julie Nixon. On December 22nd, 1968, Nixon's daughter Julie married Dwight Eisenhower's grandson, David. Fogarty read about this, and he got a little angry. He wrote in his autobiography in 2015, You'd hear about the son of this senator or that congressman who was given a deferment from the military. They weren't being touched by what their parents were doing. So David Eisenhower, who was 21 years old in 1969, was in college until 1970, and then he served in the U.S. Naval Reserves until 1973, and by serving in the Navy Reserves, he was able to avoid the draft. So a pissed-off John Fogarty writes a song that says, I'm not a connected guy who was born privileged or has some sort of connections that can get me out of this. I cannot get out of this. It is true that Vietnam War was largely fought by the poor and by minorities, many of whom who could, could not afford to go to college and get a deferment or did not have dad ask someone who could ask someone to get him out of it. By the way, this is not a new story in American history. This has happened in many of our wars. Some of the lyrics from Fortunate Son. Some folks are born silver spoon in hand, Lord, don't they help themselves. Oh, but when the tax man comes to the door, Lord, the house looks like a rummage sale. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no millionaire, son. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate one.
a direct shot at how the government was handling the situation in Vietnam, specifically the draft. But do you think that is anti-war? I don't think that's an anti-war song. I think it's an anti-rich guy dodging the draft song. By the way, in 2013, that song, Fortunate Son, was added to the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I would certainly agree with that. But why were there not more fortunate sons being written? Mm, There were. The catalog of songs about the Vietnam War is actually much larger than you would know from looking at the Billboard Hot 100 or even the country music charts. Many, many of the songs inspired by the war were simply not hits. They were not made by major record labels and therefore not played on the radio. Another song about the draft, A Drafted Minor, which is about how ironic it was that a young man could be drafted to fight in a war but could not vote and in some states could not drink alcohol, that song took another shot at the draft. By the way, we fixed the whole uh, drafting but can't vote situation by passing the 26th Amendment to the Constitution in 1971. We didn't address the draft. We just lowered the voting age to 18. At any rate, as discussed many times on this show, radio was everything in the 1970s. And if you could not get on the radio, you were not going to sell very many records. A guy like Gary Laster, a backup singer and a performer, was not going to get much traction with a song, A Drafted Minor, a song especially that is veering to anti-war, and Gary Laster was a backup singer and a performer in country music. One of the singers that Gary Laster performed with was country legend Merle Haggard. In the fall of 1969, Merle Haggard wrote and recorded Okie from Muskogee. Right-wing conservatives loved Okie from Muskogee. The song appeared to be a slam at the hippies and specifically anti-war protesters. Now, anti-war protesters was a pretty broad term in 1969. You could have been referring to college students, moms, dads, members of the clergy, returning veterans, white people, brown people, black people. You get my drift? A lot of people. That did not mean that everyone believed in protesting the war. And what really got some men of the World War II and Korean War generations was burning the draft card. So when Haggard wrote, We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. We don't take our trips on LSD. We don't burn our draft cards down on Main Street. We like living right and being free. Well, hell yeah, damn right those hippies are unpatriotic. Oh, by the way, we do indulge in a lot of white lightning, illegally made booze, but that's okay, right? That's what living right and being free was in Okie from Muskogee. This song became the conservatives' anthem. But you know what Merle Haggard said in 1970? He told a reporter, we wrote it to be satirical originally, but then people latched onto it, and it really turned into this song that took the mindset of people so opposite and who and where we were. 
Oki from Muskogee is satire. But I'm going to make a little plug here for another music podcast. If you've never heard it, Cocaine and Rhinestones, uh, check it out. There's only been one season, but it's a very in-depth look at the history of country music. And the host devoted an entire episode to Oki from Muskogee and why it is not at least what it appears now is not what it intended to be. So check that out if you would like. So Merle Haggard becomes this symbol of conservatism and the leader of this anti-hippie brigade that he did not want to be, and he wanted to break away from that. To do that, he wanted to record a song called Irma Jackson, which is a song about interracial relationships. In 1970, Interracial marriage had been legal in all 50 states for a grand total of three years. The head of the country music division of Haggard's record label, Capitol Records, said, no, you cannot release Irma Jackson. It will not get played on the radio. Release this instead. And the this is the fight inside of me. on the wars we fight griping about the way things ought to be I don't mind them switching sides and standing up for things they believe in when they're running down our country man they're walking on the fighting side of me they're walking on the fighting side of me running down a way of life our If you don't love it, leave it Let this song that I'm singing be a warning When you're running down our country horse You walking on the fighting side of me Nineteen seventy number one country hit The Fightin' Side of Me by Merle Haggard, nominated for Single of the Year by the Country Music Association, but it lost to, wait for it, Oki from Muskogee. Country radio was undergoing a transition in the early 1970s. I discussed this in much more detail in episode two of this uh, podcast where I make my case that country radio killed country music. The short version here is that country radio was trying to get a broader market, so they were playing songs with a broader appeal. Now, this butts right up against the country music establishment, which had a lot to say about both the lyrics and the sound of country music. Country music, the industry, was firmly on the side of supporting the government in the war. And you don't think that country music as the industry, the insiders have power. This is the group that kept Elvis Presley and Carl Perkins and Jerry Lee Lewis off the country charts and off country radio because they did not want any rhythm and blues influence on their radio stations. The radio editor for Music City News, which was one of the most widely read country music magazines of that era, wrote several columns warning disc jockeys and station managers about being too influenced by, quote, outside forces in country radio. 
He wrote a column saying that the peace sign is an antichrist symbol, and he wrote about staying authentic, which to him meant loyalty to God and country. He also wrote a column in support of the song The Battle Hymn of Lieutenant Callie, which is a song recorded by an Alabama DJ and a group of studio musicians. Lieutenant Callie is William Callie Jr., who was court-martialed and convicted in a military court uh, because of the murder of 21 unarmed civilians in the My Lai Massacre. There is much more on the My Lai Massacre if you're curious on my show notes on the website ftr70.com. Here is a bit of the top 40 pop hit, The Battle Hymn of Lieutenant Callie. My name is William Callie. I'm a soldier of this land. I've tried to do my duty and to gain the upper hand. But they've made me out a villain. They have stamped me with a brand as we go marching on. I'm just another soldier from the shores of USA. Forgotten on a battlefield ten thousand miles away. While life goes on as usual from New York to Santa Fe. As we go marching on, I've seen my buddies ambushed on the left and on the right, and their youthful bodies riddled by the bullets of the night. Where all the rules are broken and the only law is might, as we go marching on. While we're fighting in the jungles, they were marching in the street. While we're dying in the rice fields, they were. They were sounding a retreat as we go marching on. With our sweat we took the bunkers, with our tears we took the plane, with our blood we took the mountain and they gave it back again. Still all of us are soldiers, we're too busy to complain as we go marching on. When I reach my final campground, in that land beyond the sun. And the great commander asked me, did you fight or did you run? I'll stand both straight and tall, stripped of medals, rank, and gun. And this is what I'll say. Sir, I followed all my orders and I did the best I could. It's hard to judge the enemy and hard to tell the good. Yet there's not a man among us would not have understood. We took the jungle village exactly like they said. We responded to their rifle fire with everything we had. And when the smoke had cleared away, a hundred souls lay dead. Sir, the soldier that's alive is the only one can fight. There's no other way to wage a war when the only one in sight that you're sure is not a VC is your buddy on your right. When all the wars are over... So that song got a lot of play on country radio, but it actually made it higher up the pop charts than it did the country music charts. But definitely also lets us know the position of the decision makers of country radio. And by the way, that's largely where country radio has remained uh, when it comes to its politics. Country music was not the only genre that was leery about appearing to be anti-war, though. Let's talk about Motown. Barry Barry Gordy was adamant about his artists staying out of controversy. Case in point... Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. 
Now, this is an iconic Motown group known for hits like Heat Wave, Nowhere to Run, and of course, Dancing in the Streets. These are some of Motown's greatest hits of the 1960s. Uh, Sidebar here, hey Motown, that 60th anniversary show that was televised on CBS a few weeks ago, where the hell was Martha Reeves? Shame on you, Barry Gordy. Anyway, Pam Sawyer, Henry Cosby, and Joe Hinton wrote a song called I Should Be Proud for Motown, and the song was given to Martha Reeves to record in 1970. It is clearly anti-war. Here are some of the lyrics. I was under the dryer when the telegram came. Private John C. Miller was shot down in Vietnam. Through my tears I read, no more information at this time. He's missing in action somewhere on the Delta line. And they say that I should be proud. He was fighting for me. They say I should be proud. Those too blind to see. But he wasn't fighting for me. My Johnny didn't have to fight for me. He was fighting for the evils of society. I was under the dryer when the telegram came. Private John C. Miller was shot down in Vietnam. Through my tears I read, no more information at this time. He's missing an action somewhere on the Delta Line. And they say that I should be proud. He was fighting for me. They say that I should be proud. Those two blind to see. But he wasn't fighting for me. My Johnny didn't have to fight for me. He was fighting for the evils of society. you don't know that song. I mean, some of you who are uh, music nerds might, but I would bet the average person on the streets has not heard I Should Be Proud. Pam Sawyer said the original lyrics included the line, now he can't live without a needle in his arm, but Motown said no. That's too controversial. Remember now, Motown was always trying to have a broad appeal. While all the protests of the civil rights movement were happening in the 1960s, their Motown was churning out songs about love and happiness. Still, Martha Reeves records I Should Be Proud in 1970. It never got much traction. It only made it to number 80 on the Hot 100 and number 45 on the R&B chart. Why? Well, Martha Reeves said in a 2007 interview with NPR that the CIA was, quote, following her around and that the song was taken off the radio. Now, I am not sure why the CIA would be following Martha Reeves around or what it was about this specific song that would bother the CIA. She did repeat that story more than once, adding another time that Motown told her that the CIA thought the song would be harmful. So perhaps this was some bullshit that Barry Gordy told her? What's really strange about what happened to I Should Be Proud is that Motown was had green-lighted the song War by Edwin Starr in June of 1970. 
there is no denying the message, war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Although Motown did not want the Temptations to record that song. It was written by Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong for the Temptations, but they were too popular. So war was given to Edwin Starr, and it was a smash hit. Number one on the Billboard Hot 100, number three on the Billboard R&B chart, nominated for a Grammy in 1971, inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1999, War by Edwin Starr. had a formula and was very careful about what artists released and image was everything. So the Temptations could not record war. But in April, the Temptations recorded what Norman Whitfield kind of considered a compromise, ball of confusion. Whitfield really believed that the Temptations, who could now be considered genuine pop stars, that means that white people like them, that they should use their fame to make a political statement. So Ball of Confusion takes on all sorts of problems. Nixon, racism, drugs, violence in the cities, and oh yeah, war. Eve of destruction, tax deduction, city inspectors, bill collectors, mod clothes in demand, population out of hand, suicide, too many bills, hippies moving to the hills, People all over the world are shouting, end the war, and the band played on. Round and round and around we go. Where the world's headed, nobody knows. Tax 
like Sly and the Family Stone. That is definitely funk, not pop. Released on May 7th, 1970, and it made it all the way to number three on the Billboard Hot 100 by the end of June. I noted that Frida Payne was number 11 that week with Band of Gold. In 1971, she released Bring the Boys Home for the Invictus label. With a title like that, there is not much doubt what the message of the song is. It was a top 20 hit in the summer of 1971 and top 10 on the soul chart. However, Bring the Boys Home was banned on Armed Forces Radio because it was determined that it would benefit the enemy, as if maybe the guys who were fighting in Vietnam did not already want to go home. Here's a bit of Bring the Boys Home by Frida Payne from 1971. were just a little bit too direct for the United States military, so Bring the Boys Home was not permitted on Armed Forces Radio. You could see how that might be a little awkward. I'm not taking a stand for or against the playing of the song, um, but you could see how that would be a little awkward to be singing about Bring the Boys Home and about all the boys who have died in this senseless, lo- senseless war while there are still guys in the senseless war. I don't think that there was ever any artist, male or female, 1960s, 1970s, or beyond, that had a better pure singing voice than Marvin Gaye. He really was the whole package. He had the looks, he had the stage presence, and he had the voice. He could be a crooner, he could be soulful, he could be funky. But in 1971, Marvin Gaye was depressed to the point of being suicidal. His duet partner, Tammy Terrell, who made the best recording ever with Marvin of Ain't No Mountain High Enough in 1967, collapsed in his arms at a show in Virginia that same year. She was rushed to the hospital and diagnosed at the age of 22 with a malignant brain tumor. Some of their best hits were still to be released, like Your Precious Love and If I Could Build My Whole World Around You. And they even recorded together again. Ain't nothing like the real thing. You're all I need to get by. Terrell had a series of operations, 
but she died in 1970, and Marvin was devastated by this. His marriage to Anna Gordy, Barry Gordy's sister, was very rocky and headed for divorce. He had money problems, and his brother Freddie had returned from Vietnam with horror stories about what he saw and experienced. Needless to say that Marvin Gaye was taking stock of his life and what was happening around him in 1970. Marvin was presented with the bones of a song that was started by Obi Benson of the Four Tops. While Benson was in San Francisco the year before, he'd watched some policemen beat some of the protesters and he wondered what is going on in this world. One thought leads to another and he started thinking about what was happening in Vietnam. He wrote the skeleton for what would become what's going on for the four tops who said, no, they did not want a protest song. He gave it to Joan Baez and she said, no, he gave it to Marvin Gaye. And he said, yes, Marvin added to it. And it ended up becoming this entire concept album about what was happening in society. What's going on. Motown, had never released an album that was introspective in the way what's going on was. Its artists were trained in a finishing school to avoid this type of thing. When Marvin contacted Barry Gordy, he asked Marvin, why would, he, why would you want to ruin your career with music like this? Marvin insisted, and the title track to What's Going On was released on January 20th, 1971. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end. For only love can conquer hate You know we've got to find a way To bring some love in here today Picket lines and picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see Number two on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1971. Number one, Billboard R&B on all the lists of the greatest songs ever, not just the 1970s, as the entire album, uh, What's Going On. Marvin Gaye said to Rolling Stone, In 1969 or 1970, I began to reevaluate my whole concept of what I wanted my music to say, 
I was very much affected by letters my brother was sending me from Vietnam, as well as the social, social situation here at home. I realized that I had to put my own fantasies behind me if I wanted to write songs that would reach the souls of people. I wanted them to take a look at what was happening in the world, and such is the case with the album What's Going On. However, that would be the end of this type of political statement for Marvin Gaye. After What's Going On, he released Let's Get It On and Sexual Healing and made statements that were more about sexual politics and the power of the black male, which is something that we can get into in future podcast episodes. When you look at the entire canon of music inspired by the Vietnam War, it is not insignificant that a large number of those songs were written after the war. I've just offered a short list of important songs from the 1970s, but that list pretty much stops in 1971. I'm not saying that there were not other songs here or there. For example, Kenny Rogers recorded Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town, in 1978, and that song alludes to a paralyzed Vietnam War vet, but for the most part, when troops were withdrawn from Vietnam in 1973, it was like we all just wanted to move on. Radio definitely wanted to just move on, except the people who were lucky enough to get out of Vietnam alive, many of them could not just move on. In the 1980s, we could see that so many of these men had PTSD or were suffering from the effects of Agent Orange. So Bob Seger, Bruce Springsteen, R.E.M., many other bands and artists took us back, telling us that we cannot simply move on and we need to remember. There were many people who were opposed to the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. because they did not want to, what they termed as celebrate, a horrible war that the United States lost. Yet we have to remember, we do no honor to those who serve if we do not remember. The songs that were written and recorded in the early 70s reflect the climate of American society. Protests, anger at the protesters, and let's just end this war. And then the songs stopped for a while. Can we just make it all go away? No, we could not, nor should we. That is all for this episode of For the Record of the 70s. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please tell somebody. And also, it wouldn't hurt to give a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks so much. Bye for now, everybody. Bye.